All right, good morning, everybody. I'm going to turn your Bibles to Job chapter 9. Good? Okay. Job 9. And we'll pray and get started. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, the opportunity to sing praises to you, to get our hearts kind of prepared and ready to receive everything you have for us, as has been prayed already. Um, this is uh, a tough book. Um, thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for helping Job through it and giving us the answers in the end. And it really helps us to understand you and a lot of the things that we go through. But it doesn't take away the difficulty of actually going through those things. It just gives us a reason for them and that we can trust you. That's enough. And that's the word that's been coming up a lot, Lord. I know that by your Holy Spirit, the word trust, trust, trust. And then when JC got up here and began to pray, trust, trust, I know that's the point. And so I pray that you'd help us as we go through your word to trust you. And in the truest sense of the word, not in the platitude that we say so often to one another, just trust God, or, um, but to truly, without knowing, without understanding, without any having any foresight, but just knowing who you are, that we can trust you with our lives and everything that we go through, that we know that you love us. And we start with that, and we end with that, and that whatever comes our way is for our best, and for your best, and for the kingdom's best. In Jesus' name. Amen. That was kind of the summary <laughs> of what I came up with as I was studying this, and I did study the right chapter this week. Uh, boy, there was a lot there for me, though. I had 9 and 10 scheduled, and I maybe, we'll see, but that is the word that came up the most is Job chapter 9 is trust. Um. And we know that word. We know we're supposed to trust God. In fact, that's the beginning of our salvation is we trust God and we believe God. And But Job is truly um, looking at his situation with very limited knowledge of what's happened in chapters 1 and 2. We, we're privy to chapters 1 and 2. We know what went on in heaven, the conversation between Satan and God, the whole purpose of this whole uh, exercise of faith, um, this test of Job's resilience and ability to not curse God to his face. But Job doesn't have that perspective. And when I teach this, or when we've been going through this, the tendency, I think, for us is to say, well, yeah, we know. We know what's going on. Honestly, I don't know that we do know what's going on. And here's what I mean. I was thinking about this this morning. And there is a big question in the room an elephant in the room about this, I think. Who cares what Satan thinks? I mean, honestly, when all is said and done, why didn't God just look at Satan and say, you're going to be in hell pretty soon anyway. I don't even have this conversation with you. Why even go through the exercise of nominating Job to show God and Job's relationship to a guy who's going to burn forever anyway, which is what we're studying on Thursday nights. That's where we're headed. So we still don't have the whole picture because we know God and we love him and he loves us and we know everything about him and we sing his attributes and that helps us and reminds us of who he is because sometimes we're wondering, okay, what is going on in my life? Okay, first I know this, God loves me. Okay, starting with that base, if I can't come to a conclusion as to why this is happening to me, I can certainly rest upon the fact that God loves me. Okay, good enough. Sure, it's going to work out great because God loves me and we can rest in that. 
And so as we go through Job and we see that, oh, well, we got one and two, we can kind of understand that this is a big battle and God's really going to show Satan. And the, but the big question for me in there is, why, do we, why does God care what Job thinks or what Satan thinks? Why does Satan have to know, you know? And so that's the mystery of the Job for us. Is So somehow or another, this is important in eternity. This is important in the cosmic realm that Satan, the fallen angel, whose destiny is secure in hell and just hasn't happened yet, needs to know that Job won't curse him to his face. And that's where our trust comes in as we study Job, because we still need to fall into that category here as we study Job. What do we learn from this? What do we take away from this? Is we need to learn to trust God, that this book was necessary. This book was not just to give us insight into what we think, chapters 1 and 2, that God and Satan are lots of things going on that we don't know about, and we're down here kind of ignorant of all the things that are happening behind the scenes, and yet we can trust God and rest that whatever's happening to us is for the eternal good. And that's why he's given us Job, and that's why we have 1 and 2, but we've got to go, there's a step further there. Why, why do we have to prove anything to anybody? Why does God have to do any of that stuff? Why can't he just say, be quiet? Why are you still up here, Satan? In fact, why don't you just not show up anymore? Go do your thing. It's just a matter of time. Your, your days are numbered. You know? But he didn't. And so I've got to trust, although Scripture doesn't tell us, that there's a reason for this. There's a purpose far beyond just letting some guy who's got a death sentence waiting over, over, over his head that, see, he does love me. I've got to trust that God is, this is very necessary. And I think maybe the last four chapters might help us with that, but we'll get there when we get there. Is that this was probably more about Job than it really was about proving anything to Satan. I think that's often the case when trials and tribulations come our way. It really just shows us where we are. God is never surprised when a trial or tribulation comes our way, most of the time because he's sovereign, obviously, and he can see all things and knows these things are all going to come to pass. And so he's never shocked at these things like, oh, wow, I didn't see that happening in your life. He knew. But he allows these things to come into our lives so that we can see exactly where we are spiritually. It really does. It shows. Wherever I am spiritually, no matter how much I kind of mask I wear at church or whatever kind of airs I put on about Christianity in my life, when trials and troubles hit my life, that's when the reality of my walk with Christ is shown. You can't really fake it through those times. I think that was one of the most powerful testimonies of the apostles and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was nobody and all the apostles except John were martyred nobody's going to die for a lie. If Jesus really did get taken from the tomb and they snuck him out and they bribed the guards, which is what some people say, and they took Jesus, just to perpetuate this myth that Jesus was God come in the flesh and the Savior of the world, eventually when they've got your feet to the fire and they're saying, deny Christ, deny Christ, if that's all it took to get out of that and it was all a lie anyway, certainly you'd say, yeah, 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 it was all fake. John and I got together, we pooled our money from our last fishing episode, and we paid the guards off, and we took Jesus, and he's right over there. Now, 
get me out of this. They didn't. They died. Which showed the genuineness of the truth of their story. This is really what happened. So Job is finding out a lot about himself. I think that's where we pick up our story this morning. That as we read Job and we think about ourselves in his shoes, we kind of wonder how we do. We like to imagine what it would be like to go through the things he went through and how we would respond or whatever, and we go through the scenarios in our mind. Some of us have come into some serious trials and tribulations in our life and maybe have been tested in this actually, not just theoretically. But for the most part, most, none of us have really gone through this, this much difficulty, you know. All of your kids, all of your money, all of your possessions, all of your health, you know, just haven't died yet, basically. That's a lot. So in verse 1, then Job answered and said, now he's answering his accuser. These, these are the counselors that have come alongside of him to encourage him. And they are under the impression, and we have to remember this, that, and, and, and everybody is, even Job is, the, the prevailing understanding of God was if you're a good person, you don't suffer. If you're a bad person, you do suffer. If you sin, you pay the consequences for it. If you don't sin, your life is golden, okay? And that is sometimes our mentality at, at times. We think, well, I'm living a pretty good life. And so that is where the counselors are coming from. Job, I don't know. We look at your life, and we can't specifically name anything that you've done that's so bad that would require this extreme punishment from God, but there must be something is the idea that you're just not telling us. You need to confess. This is what they've been telling him. You need to get this out. I don't know what it is, but the proof is in the pudding. It's evident to us that by this wrath that's being poured out on you, you've done something, I mean, horrific. That's the idea. Now, that's where Job picks up his answer, because Job knows. Now, I know I'm not perfect, and I know that I sin, but I'm not horrific. I haven't done, if I have done anything, anything worse than what I've seen other people do, and they're not going through half what I'm going through. They're not going through any of this stuff. So if the formula is correct, and this much sin gets this much judgment, and I've got this much judgment, but I can't think of anything I've done to deserve it. Something is, something's wrong here. And that's where he picks this up. So Job answered and said, truly, I know it is so. What you just said about righteousness for righteous people and pain for others. But how can a man be righteous before God? In other words, I can't think of what I can do better than what I've been doing. What am I missing? You know, what's my sin? I agree with you, but I've suffered more than anybody, and you guys have even said it as much. And you're just guessing that I've got some sin, but I can't think of what it is. If one wished to contend with him, God, he could not answer him. One time out of a thousand, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? Kind of understand that. Who, who has ever hardened himself against God and done better than if they'd walked with God is the idea. And so he's, just, he, he's starting with what he knows. I, I know this to be true. God is smart. He's wise. I couldn't contend with him if I wanted to. I mean, I know that's ridiculous. 
He's, he's wise in heart, mighty in strength. And I'm not going to harden myself against him because nobody gets gains anything from that in their lives. No atheist ever got more peace in their life by rejecting that there's a God. No, nobody did. If anything, if they followed their logic to its obvious conclusion, you'd be more depressed than you've ever been before because nothing matters. Your life doesn't matter. Nothing is, nothing is of value. Verse 5, he removes the mountains, and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun that does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and Pallades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I don't see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? As a pastor and as Christians, oftentimes we try to encourage people with thinking of God's majesty, his size, the scope of his creation, the infinite universe, the galaxies without number, and the stars of those galaxies without number. I mean, it just gets worse and worse in a sense, the more you think about creation, it's just absolutely unbelievable to think about. If you thought about it long enough, well, many people just do, or just, they just don't sit and think about these things. I think I think about it way too much, probably. But you think about, you know, sometimes you battle, you not battle evolution, but I'm just going through evolution in my mind. I'm like, okay, the, we'll just start with the single cell is an absolutely amazing machine. And the amount of time it would have taken for that one tiny cell and that amazing machine to have figured out how to make itself over time, billions and trillions and gazillions of years, because you'd need that. That's just, and, and that's kind of starting in the middle. That machine is so complex. If you kept studying that machine, it gets even worse. In other words, it's, it's so complex. It's a, you think about, and I know I say this a lot, but I have to go here sometimes, but just the fact that you're sitting in these chairs is a miracle because the only reason you're not falling through the earth right now is because all the atoms in your body are spinning. The protons and the neutrons are spinning so fast they're bumping into each other, so you can't fall through the earth. But if one of those, you or the chair or the earth, stopped moving, you go whoop, right through it. You guys ever think about that stuff like I do? That's the only reason we're sticking together. What keeps all these things moving around? Well, it's negative and positive. Okay. So some invisible force called Magneto is doing this? And it gets worse as you go down into the cell. Now imagine going out. Now you've got to create sight. How much more time do you need for sight? And then you've got to have taste. How, do you, how much more time for that to evolve and then to coincide with the, the nasal passages because you know that when you've got a stuffed up nose, you can't taste anymore. And how do those, how does that? And then you start talking about systems, nervous systems where electricity is passing through your body and telling the brain of what's happening down here that I don't even have to look, but I can tell this is about a six-inch step right here without Okay, it just gets worse. And now we're done with the body. And we move to the earth and the planet that spins around a star, which is the sun, which a lot of people unbelievably don't know that our sun is a star, which is terribly disappointing to me. 
and that every star that you see is a sun with planets and stuff going on, and every one of those stars you see is a, just, a, just a tiny little snapshot of the galaxy of the Milky Way that we live in, which of the galaxies, there are billions of galaxies. Okay, is anybody, like, fried yet? I say these things because sometimes thinking of the majesty, like Job is trying to do here, and the grandeur of the Lord and creation doesn't bring people closer. It makes him feel even more distant than he ever has before. It's like, well, how far away is he? And that's when he steps in and his word tries to tell us it's really big, isn't it? God, it's so big. And the more we study, can you, I can hardly wait till they get this telescope up on the moon. Do you know they're doing that? They're taking one of the craters on the moon and they're going to suspend and put a telescope up there and it's going to, I mean, some of the things we can see right now from Mars and some of the things we can see right now from um, the Hubble is amazing, but this one's going to be unbelievable. And it's going to get worse for scientists. It's going to get worse for those who decided not to believe in God. It's going to get worse. And the thing is, it gets bigger and bigger and God says, I'm huge, aren't I? How big do you want me to show you how big I am? And some of us are like, that's enough. I'm scared to death as it is, and I'm a tiny little nothing. I'm a tiny little nothing in the middle of nothing, in the middle of hanging on nothing. This is crazy to think about. And it doesn't bring people closer to God. It brings people further away, and they kind of wonder. And so he steps in with his word to whisper into our ears, I'm this close to you. Can you hear my voice? And then everything gets really clear really quick. It's like, wow. That's when the whole grandeur of creation comes into play, and I did it all before I made you. I made you so that you can enjoy this. I mean, that's like a Christmas present that you could never imagine, you know, or even ask for. God, I want a truck. Uh, how about I do this? You know, oh, it's better than a truck. You know? Job is getting further away from God as he proclaims these things. It sounds like, yes, he removes mountains, he overturns, he does this. But Job is saying, I don't understand him. He can walk right past me and I don't see him. It's hard to understand God. I don't know where he is. In fact, we know this because of the last thing he says in verse 16, which we'll get to here in a minute. He says, let me jump there. He says, I would not believe, it says, if I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. That's the idea. At the end of all this grandeur, and and there's a lot of upheaval in the earth, which is a side note, by the way, lets us know that there could be a lot of things going on geographically right now. Because we're not exactly sure when this book was written, but we know it was written early, 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 early on, right? And so we've got, Job's like, we witness mountains being removed. I've... You know, we think of maybe a volcano and Mount St. Helens is the best we can come up with for a mountain being removed, but that was just like a top, top part of it. It's like a little, you know, in history, huge to us. But he's talking about the earth shakes and is out of place. And we were talking continental drift probably or possibly, you know, who knows what he's witnessing. Snow, ice age, things going on. There's a lot of snow mentioned in this book, more than any other book in the Bible. So much snow. He talks about it all the time. He talks about dinosaurs in here. He's talking about... And you're like, oh, dinosaurs, really? Yeah, it's in here. I mean, the crazy stuff that he's seen, he's witnessed. And it's interesting. 
all this stuff. So take that into, he moves the pillars, he commands the earth to shake. I mean, there's things being moved, plates, stars disappearing, you know, just waves of the sea, amazing things. We see the constellations, Bear, Orion, Pleiades, and all that. His, I don't even, how do I talk to him? He's so big. In Romans, um, I didn't get my notes pulled up here, let me pull them up. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. But indeed, Paul says, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? And Paul was just trying to bring the Romans to a place of understanding that God's really big and sovereign. And that's important. Very big, very sovereign. What are you going to do? You're going to say, why did you make me? You know, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Did you not have enough clay? You know, did you run out of whatever? Um, who would say that to him? You can't. The idea is to bring some humility to the Romans who thought they could define God and, and all. And, uh, and that's what Job's going through right now. He's, just, he's trying to spout off and say that God is so big, who can know him? And that's true, except God wants to be known. And so if someone so big can do all of this, certainly he can make himself known to us. Verse 13. God will not withdraw his anger... The allies of the proud lie, prostrate, beneath him. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness If it is a matter of strength, indeed, he is strong. And if of justice, who will appoint my day in court? Though I were righteous, my mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. He's really struggling with this in the sense that, okay, I mean, if this is all happening to me as judgment, when's my opportunity to speak and to give my side of it or to at least answer which God's going to say, you said you wanted to answer? Go ahead. He's going to give that to him in the last four chapters. Here's the thing. They're under the assumption God's not listening to them. And I'm, that's, my, that's my guess, is that Job doesn't think God is in this room listening to these four people talk together. You know, I don't even think he's in the room. If, if I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice, is what he said. And so they're saying a lot of things that if he were in the room, they probably wouldn't be saying these things. You know? So they feel free. And it's funny how people feel free to talk about other people when they're not in the room. I feel free to do that. They're not here. And then you find out they were there. You pocket dialed them. Oh, did you hear that? Yeah, I did. I had that happen with the realtor once. It was hilarious. So funny. She kept asking me for different realtor outside of town, not here in town, but another one coming in. And she wasn't a part of our MLS, so she couldn't see the data sheets that I was seeing. So I was doing my best to disclose things to her and show her things. And it's funny when you have to do that electronically. You've got to download it and take it off of our server because it's private, but you can share it with other realtors within the group. She's not a part of the group. So I'm trying to do this, and I'm going back and forth. I said, can you see it now? Can you see it now? No, it's protected. You can't find it. Okay, I'm going to try this way, see if you can see it now. There's just no easy way to cross MLS. You just It's hard. And so I was working on it, working on it. And all of a sudden, I get this text, and she thinks she's texting her client. Oh, I felt so bad for her because we hadn't come to a deal yet, you know. 
and and uh, and <laughs> she had a lot of expletives in her text. This blanking realtor doesn't blanking understand that I can't blank and see all these things. And I'm like, I know you can't see them. I'm trying to get them to you. I'm te- we're testing this. Join our MLS. We wouldn't have this problem, lady. You know. So she does. She just lays in. <laughs> I said, Oh, how can I respond to this? She thinks she's talking to her client, not me. And I just said, Oops. That's all I texted. Oops. <laughs> And it was, you know, text silence for like 24 hours. She didn't know what to do. I'm, I'm really, finally I get one. Hey, I'm really sorry about that. I thought I was texting my client. I said, I figured that. Did you see the documents yet? Have you got them? Yeah, I got them. I figured it out. We figured it out. Okay, good. good. And she was humble throughout the rest of the transaction. It's funny how we talk when we don't think people can hear or see. And God has a way at times to bring those things to light. It's embarrassing. That's what's going to happen here. The last four chapters, God's going to say, Job, stand up like a man and listen to me. You were listening to all that? I was. And I'm going to answer all your questions you had. Those are like theoretical questions. I like didn't think you were really hearing me. It's an embarrassing moment for Job. We have sympathy for him, though, I think. I don't know that I would have done any better. I'm probably sure sure I wouldn't. I mean, I understand who God is, and I do trust him, but this is a lot for anybody to take. And so I, I'm going to be – I'm not making fun of him. I, I don't know that I would have done any better. And I don't want to be nominated, God, if you're listening. <laughs> no. I'll pass. Anyway, if I was to open my mouth, he says in verse 20 – I'm pretty sure I'd condemn myself, and whatever I say would make me more perverse. I think I'd blow it, you know. You have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Anything you say can and will be used against you. I think I'll just keep quiet. I'm going to lawyer up here, which is where he's going with this, by the way. Job is going to lawyer up here. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I know that I haven't sinned or I can't think of anything, and yet I know that I don't know myself like I should. I despise my life. It's very down. It is all one thing. Therefore, I say, he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given into, his hand, into the hand of the wicked. He covers his face of his judges. If it is not he, who else could it be? If I'm talking to the wrong guy, if I'm blaming the wrong person for all these things that are happening to me, tell me who it is. But as far as I can tell, your judges aren't looking rightly because I'm looking, I'm, I know I'm not supposed to horizontally compare myself to other people's lives, but I'm nowhere near that guy over there. And the three guys sitting around me, I'm teaching them. And I know what they've done, and they're not going through anything like I'm going through. And so, hey, tell me where I'm wrong, God, unless I'm talking to the wrong guy. I mean, you can almost feel that kind of, that bitterness that he talked about earlier, I'm filled with bitterness. And it's coming out. Now, he's not cursing God to his face, though. That looks different than this. He's looking at God saying, you know, fill me in. Fill me in. It makes me, I mean, when you read this stuff, and sometimes you go through the Bible and you hit a verse, it just makes you kind of cringe, you know. Ooh, don't say that. This is one of those moments where you say that. He, he laughs at those, at the plight of the innocent. 
and we know better. And we know better. And that's not something you say. And even if you thought it out loud or thought about it, you know, Job, you keep it to yourself. You know, you work that out in your heart. But you don't say those things out loud, especially in front of these three guys. But he does. He does. He believes this is all arbitrary. He covers the face of judges, and God is just up there playing with his toys, righteous or not. You know, I've seen, I watch Bo play with his little action figures. He, it's interesting the, the, the groups that he brings together from all the toy box, you know. You've got Batman and Superman over here, and they're battling My Little Pony, you know. And, and My Little Pony usually just absolutely destroyed. You know, kind of thing. It's like, oh, poor little pony. Did nothing wrong to nobody, you know, kind of thing. And it's just arbitrary how this battle goes. He just needs a, he needs someone to die. So here it is. This, yeah, I don't think Batman would do that to my little pony. But, you know, kind of thing. It's arbitrary to Job. He feels like he's a plaything. He's just, I don't know what's happening, but it just seems like you're having fun. Now, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. Anybody feel like that? Why is it when you get older, time is just like speeding up? Kids don't understand that. They don't. And I don't. I remember summers. Summers were long. Summers were very long. You get out of school, and you had summer. You had weeks and weeks of sun and playing and making forts and stuff and doing all all summer was like forever you know and we didn't start school till september i don't know how these kids got robbed two or three weeks what's what's was starting in in august you know poor guys we had all august off you know and we'd start in september or whatever and it was long but now as i'm older i'm like oh and we we all say it time hasn't actually i don't think it's sped up maybe it has in our minds but boy that went quick Oh, I can't believe it's already the end of September. I can't believe it's already the end of October. Boy, that'll be coming quick. Christmas is coming up fast. And this just and I can see where Job's getting this. My days are swift. Um I raised all these kids. I, I built all this wealth. I was a good steward and a faithful servant of God, or I thought I was, and it's all gone. And it, 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 the time is slipping away into nothingness. This is the end of my life. I'm 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 coming to my deathbed, basically. And and it's coming fast and furious. He doesn't even know that his best days or his most productive or prosperous days are ahead of him. He just thinks that's the end of it. I will forget my complaint. I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I'm afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, you let... Uh, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. doesn't matter how clean I try to make myself. If I went all the way up and got some snow water, purest water on earth, and I found the strongest soap and I began to wash myself, I'd still be filthy in your sight. That's the idea. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 21, um, Peter's trying to explain the being baptized into Christ and not water baptism. And so he's trying to make a point. He says, no, the baptism I'm talking about is the baptism of a, of a clean conscience, something that only God can do, only God can wash away. I'm not talking about it. He says, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Not this, though. It's, bap- it's baptism, 
parentheses, parentheses, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the baptism that matters, that resurrection baptism, that dying with Christ and rising with him, not the removal of the filth from the flesh. It's not about the water. It's not about the soap. It's not the soap. It's not about the snow. That was one of the problems that, um, oh, not Nehemiah, the other end guy with leprosy, Naaman. Naaman had leprosy in the Old Testament. And one of the prophets, he says, you know, the servant girl that he had stolen from another country from Israel was with him. And she said, well, if you go to this prophet, he can heal you. So, okay, okay, okay. So, um, sent for him and, and, or went to his house and, 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 and the prophet didn't even come out and said, just go wash seven times in, in the Jordan. He goes, well, I could have done that in cleaner water back home. And of course, it had nothing to do with the water. It had nothing to do with the cleanliness of the water. It had everything to do with being obedient to God. And that's what this is talking about in First Peter also, similar. And that's what Job's trying to say. He says, I can wash myself, but there's no way I can cleanse the inward parts of man. I can't do it. None of us can. Satan will convince us all day long that if we just try harder, if we just do more, if we just focus, we wouldn't have any more sin in our lives. I can't cleanse my heart of wickedness. I can't take away the desire for sin. I was talking to Bo about that the other day. Um, you know, we know that sin is evil. We know sin is bad. We know that Jesus died for sin. And so Bo is, you know, coming to that age where he's like, yeah, so then why do we do it? I said, because it's fun. Because it feels good. Sin is not attractive because it's horrible in the sense that it feels good or that it's, 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 it's pleasing to the eye or to whatever it is. Sin is super enjoyable. I mean, people don't do meth because they want to lose their teeth. They do meth because of the feeling it gives them. It's unbelievable. It's like, I want to live like this all the time. I mean, I don't have a care in the world right now. And I can talk a mile a minute, you know, and move really, really fast kind of thing. And I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> Great weight loss deal, you know. I mean, there's, there's things about it. Now, it kills the person slowly but surely. I mean, what a great example of sin if you're going to pick one. They do it not because of the bad things happening to them, but because of the good things it brings into their life. That's the whole point of it. And that's why it's so difficult to break that. And so explaining to Bo that, yeah, no, sin is, I mean, it's fun. I mean, that's why people don't come to Christ. They have to weigh that out. It's like, if I come to Christ, that means that you don't want me to sin anymore? I like sinning. We don't say that, but I like doing this, that, or the other thing. It's fun. It feels good. And so Bo kind of, he's like, yeah, 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 that's right. Because it's, it's kind of kind of fun being naughty, he said. Said it is fun being naughty. It is. That's why we do it, you know. Anyway, there was more to the conversation. I didn't leave him there and say, "Yeah, go be naughty." No, we we finished it. There's no way for me to cleanse that desire in my heart to be naughty. It's just there, and only God can touch that part. And Job is trying to allude to that. Only God can get into my heart. Only God can do these things. Only God can judge me. Only God can see my heart. He can only He's the only one that can change it. For he is not a man as I, or as, that I, as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. I need that mediator, he said. He's trying to lawyer up. Well, we know what he's talking about, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so he is alluding to that. He just talked about how he, in verse 8, treads on the waves of the sea, makes the sotars. And he's starting to go through all these attributes and finally ends up in, uh, I wish we had a, a mediator, you know. Well, yeah, Jesus created all things. He walks on water. I mean, it, and all the things that he talked about this, who God is, Jesus becomes when he comes on earth. It's interesting. Let him take his rod away from me. and Do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him. It is not so with me. There is in God's heart, because he's listening to all this and he's watching all this, is this is where we're going to, I'm not going to do chapter 10, obviously. But he's looking down and he nominates Job and all these things are happening because there is an honest expectation from God upon Job to say, you should trust me. I've given you no reason to not trust me. There's an expectation for all mankind to trust God. We're kind of soft down here. We can be soft with our kids. It's just, you know, um, we can be soft with the youth of our lives, whether they're our kids or somebody else's kids. We can kind of be soft. And kids rise to the expectation that you set on them. There has to be wisdom there. You can't expect a five-year-old to drive a semi, you know, truck. There's expectation. You can't put that expectation on them. That's an unrealistic expectation. But they can rise to a, probably a whole nother level than we imagine they can rise to. And when God looks upon us, although we are, he remembers that we're just dust and that we're clay, he also made us in his image. And that there's a certain amount of ability that we have that we don't do or trust in. And that's one of the things, is that we need to be able to trust God completely. And he deserves that. He's earned that. He it's expected of us to trust him. When I have these moments of doubt or these moments of questioning and all that, I think it's very important that we pause and, and go through kind of what Job did. Let's go through the majesty of God, his, his beauty, what he's done for me lately. The songs that we sang this morning puts us in a better place at the end of singing those and recounting all the things that we know about him. Then we can ask our questions probably far more intelligently and without offense to him. I start off with what I know about you, and that helps me understand that, yeah, it, this isn't a big deal. It's just that I don't know, and it frustrates me. But I trust you. Trusting God only comes from when we do not know. We do trust falls all the time with youth groups or with our kids. We teach them trust falls, you know, fall back, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Gonna... Yeah, you go through that whole thing with them. Jump into the pool. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. Trust me, you know, all that. And eventually... They're jumping in, and they don't even, hey, wait till I'm looking, you know. I didn't even see you jump in. That's why you went under. I wasn't even paying attention. But the trust is built up over time, and they just realize that no matter what I do, my parents will catch me, or my friend will catch me. And God has done nothing but try to build up our trust so that when we do come into a situation in our lives, when we don't know the outcome, the reason, or anything like that, what is the purpose of all this, that we can say, but this I know, I trust God. What Job doesn't know is that he loves him with everlasting love. What Job isn't talking about is what we know about God. He's coming at God at, I don't even know who, I don't even know. I know that you're powerful. I know that I'm submitted to you. I know that you created all things. I don't know how you feel about me. And we do. And that's why our trust should be 
and is expected to be so much more in God. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross for us so we can spend eternity with him. He's not going to flub that up. I'm not going to mess it up. I love you that much. I showed you how much I love you so you can rest upon that. You can trust me for everything else in your life. Look, I, I died on the cross for your sins. That's how much I care about you and what I, how I think about you and where I want you. So whatever else is confusing to you or a mystery to you, can you just trust me? Well, yeah, I guess I can. I just hate not knowing. I think that's our problem. I just want to know. Though. I trust you. Fill me in. You know. What if I don't fill you in? I'll be disappointed that I don't get to know, but I certainly can trust you, and I think that's the point. That's the point for today. All right, let's uh, have our communion now. forgot we're having that today. Works out great. Communion is a time when we take... Um, an intimate moment that Jesus had with his disciples. It was the night before his uh, betrayal and arrest and three days before his resurrection. And they're having the Passover meal together. And they've got many things on the table, but these are the two things that Jesus focuses on. There's lamb and there's other spices and different things on the table. But these are the things that he focuses on, the bread and the cup. And as he's preparing and, and, and praying, he takes the bread that's before them, and he breaks it and, you know, gives thanks for it. Thank you, God, for this bread. Uh, and he passes this out to the disciples around him. He says, take and eat some of this, everybody. And, and they were going to do that anyway. But what he adds to the story or what he adds to the ceremony of the meal is that this is my body broken for you as often as you eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. And that was new. That's the first time they'd ever heard that, ever, in their Jewish history. But now this bread that we're eating here represents you broken. Nobody liked to hear that. But they, oh yeah, yeah, your body broken, I get it, you know, kind of thing. And then he took the cup, and he blessed it and gave thanks for it. He says, now this is the cup of my new covenant. And as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me and the blood that I shed for you. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant. That's the first time they'd ever heard that too. What does that mean? Well, the new covenant is different from the old covenant. The old covenant was you do good, and like what Job thought, you do good in heaven. You do bad down here, you do bad in heaven. That was the covenant. There's sacrifices that have to be made. There are, um, there's a repentance that needs to be taking place. There needs to be um, constant attention to the temple. And the, constant. the new covenant is different. The new covenant is you are broken and that you have sinned and that, we've all agreed upon, but I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. I'm going to be that sacrifice once and for all for the sins of the world. And so this is the new covenant that you broke the promise, but I'm going to fix the problem. It's not up to you to fix the problem. It's up to me at the cross to fix the problem. I'm going to bring you close. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to gap, bridge that gap. I'm going to be the mediator that touches man and God. That's who I am. And so that's what we're doing today is nothing magical is happening this morning with this tiny little square of bread and cup of juice. We're remembering that. And that's how we trust Jesus more and more in our lives, by remembering this moment. So I want you to remember that I broke my body for you and that I shed my blood for you and that this is a new covenant that we have together. I want you to remember that. 
We remember that. It takes a lot of the pressure off of us. Knowing that my salvation is secure, knowing that I'm resting in this sacrifice, not in my ability to be better, but that Christ has given me his righteousness. His perfection has been imputed to me. It's been handed to me. It's been, I've been clothed with it. It's the robe of righteousness that I wear. And when God sees me, he sees Christ's righteousness, which is baffling to me. But I'll take it because mine is horrible compared to Christ. So I'll take Christ's righteousness. And when we eat and drink this together, we remember that. I'm not wearing my righteousness. He's not seeing my righteousness, like Job just said. But he is seeing Christ's righteousness in our lives. He looks upon us and sees Christ. And that's a miracle. It'll take us forever to understand it and appreciate it. But he's giving us a chance now to even think on that. And knowing that that is secure, your eternity is secure, that your salvation is in what he did, not upon what you do, helps you to walk in holiness. The very thing we can't do in our flesh, be holy for I am holy. I'm trying. God says, I'm just going to robe you with righteousness. And now we just have to walk. We just have to walk. And when I blow it, I'm still wearing the robe of righteousness. And when I'm right, it's not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. It's like nothing changes. My relationship and the way God views me doesn't change day to day. Obedience to disobedience. It rests upon the righteousness of Christ and says, I want you to have that peace. And in that peace and in that understanding and in that place of safety and security, it's so much easier to walk in obedience to God from salvation, not for it. So, Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you that you give us rest from our labors, from our works, that you are our Sabbath. We rest in you. Salvation is secure. We trust in you. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that has not made that confession of faith towards you, that they believe on you for their salvation, that they believe that you died on the cross for their sins, their sins had separated themselves from you, but you made a way by dying on the cross for them. And they truly this morning believe on you for salvation. They trust you. That's how you feel about them, that you love them, and that there's a new covenant now, and that your righteousness is imputed to them. They want to believe you and trust you this morning. So Jesus, be our Lord and Savior. Help us to trust you, to rest in you, and to let you be the Lord of our lives, to lead and guide us every single day by your Holy Spirit, to conform us slowly but surely into the image of your Son, Jesus, to be more like you, so that we can be a blessing to those around us and and a blessing to you, that we can praise you and have that relationship with you like you've always wanted us to have, like in the garden or the fall. So we thank you for this bread and this cup, which reminds us of your salvation, of your love, of your redemption, of you making a way for us to go to heaven. And we're going. We're excited for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's eat. If you're visiting, we clock crack our glasses to remind us that we're broken vessels. So it's kind of a different thing. A lot of churches don't do it, but we do. So one, two, three.
Have a good rest of the day. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you.